You are listening to messages from Cuyahoga Valley Church in Broadview Heights, Ohio. If you're looking for more resources or want to get in touch, please head to our website at www.cvconline.org. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your day and help you experience new life in Christ. Well, good morning, friends and guests. So good to see you, all of you online. Glad that you guys are with us as well. It's good to be together on this uh, mid-July beautiful day here in Northeast Ohio. Hey, I don't know if you've thought about this, but every day when we hit the road, get in our cars and go to work, go to school, go to wherever, uh, we pass a lot of signs, hundreds probably every day. Some you you recognize and see, some you see and ignore, but we won't talk about that, right? Uh, There's others that, you know, we probably just, we just miss. They're just there, but but there's signs everywhere, you know, just your, your basic signs, your stop signs and yield. And, you know, there's your fair share of road clothes or construction signs that we'll see every now and then. If you're in Northeast Ohio, you'll definitely see a deer on a sign somewhere. Um, hopefully you pay attention to the sign because the deer don't around here. Um, they like to just right in front of you, you know, and uh, all that to say, there, there are signs everywhere you look trying to guide you, direct you, uh, alter your course in some way shape or form. I think when you look at life, life is like a journey and uh, it's a road that we travel that also has signs. And some signs are very obvious and you see and you recognize, you pay attention to. Some are probably more subtle, you don't pay a lot of attention to, or maybe you miss. And so some of those same signs apply. Stop signs, yield, you know, waiting on God maybe, um, falling rocks, you know, whatever uh, sign best sums up your life, if you will. But I think there's one sign that we probably encounter the most when it comes to thinking about our journey in life. And it's this sign here. It's the fork in the road. And I've used this before, but it's, it's been a while. And I think about all the times that we come to a decision that has a couple or more options that we have to make. Now, I'm not talking about what do I have for breakfast or like what, what clothes do I wear today? Although for some of you, that's a major crisis to try to figure that out, right? I'm talking about more like life-impacting decisions. Like, do I get into that relationship? Do I stay in that relationship? Uh, Do I make that move? Do I take that job? Do I go to that school? Uh, You name it. There's all sorts of like life-impacting scenarios that we come to. And and when you think about that, uh, a lot of times it's a win-win or a lose-lose or a win-lose scenario that we feel like we're uh, we're encountering. But then when you put on your, your spiritual lens... I think about a lot of the the paths that we take and the roads that we take, when we're coming down to an option of which path to take, a lot of times one path that we take will take us closer to God, feeling more intimate with God, trusting Him more, seeing His hand at work in our lives. And then a lot of times another path takes us far from God, makes us drift from God. We start to rely on ourselves more. We trust ourselves more, trust other people or some other thing instead. And a lot of times this is what we see when we're making decisions uh, spiritually in our lives, when we come to these forks in the road. And uh, one thing we need to make sure we understand is when you take these paths, and specifically when you win, not if, when we take the paths that make us drift from God, here's one thing we need to never forget. God always allows U-turns. He always allows us to change direction if we're going down the wrong road or the wrong path. And here's another mind-blowing 
thing we understand about God is that God in his power, God in his sovereignty, not only allows us a U-turn, but somehow, some way, he will typically use whatever mess we made on the wrong road for his glory or for his good somehow. It's just unbelievable how he has an ability to do that and loves us enough that he'll do that. That's one thing we need to understand. Well, uh, we are going to uh, start with that frame of mind. I want you guys to have this fork in the road thinking and a little bit of that U-turn thinking in your frame of mind as we begin this series in the book of Ruth. We're starting today a six-week series called Restoration Road in the book of Ruth. And um, for those of you not familiar with the book of Ruth, or maybe you, you know about it or you've studied it before and you just need a refresher, um, I want to break that down a little bit on the front end here because Ruth is one of the most beautiful moving stories in all of Scripture. Uh, in it, you got love and romance, and all the ladies like, yes. There's adventure, and the guy's like, okay, okay, I can hang, I can hang. All right, there's adventure in there. There's tragedy, there's hardship. And not only that, but within the story of Ruth, there's another story, an actual greater narrative of a God who loves us so much that he will use the circumstances in our lives to draw us back to him. There's a restoration message, a redeeming message that permeates the book of Ruth. There are some other themes we find in the book of Ruth, uh, besides restoration and redemption, there's conversion, there's divine providence, all of these things. And we look at how God can take tragedy and turn it into triumph. We look at how God can take pain and turn it into purpose. And we see how God can take hurt and turn it into hope when we see the book of Ruth. And so just as we sang, uh, the book of Ruth reminds us that God is always working even if we don't see it. He's always accomplishing his will. He's always accomplishing his purposes and our steps or missteps will not affect the, the uh, fulfillment of God's plans. He will use them all. Now, we also see in the book of Ruth, the gospel. And when we talk about the gospel, we mean the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. That, that a wandering broken people have been invited back into a restorative relationship with God through Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. We're going to see glimpses of that in the story of Ruth. Now, it's a beautiful story. We're going to have a great time. But a couple cautions I want to give you on the front end. One is this. We are taking a book that is meant to be sat down and read in one sitting. Four chapters, you can knock it out and, and feel free to do it. Like sit down and read Ruth all you want over the next few weeks. But we're stretching it into a six-week series, which means there's going to be times where we teach on something and it's not going to have a nice, tidy, little clean ending. Might have a little bit of a cliffhanger. And we'll talk about what happened and kind of make some, some connections. And you're like, well, what do I do with that? We're like, I don't know. Come back next week. We'll figure it out. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and so this is a beautiful story, but we're going to do it in six sittings rather than one. So here's my challenge to you. I challenge you to go six out of six. This is a six-week series. Make all six weeks. Uh, be in here in person all six weeks. If some of you are like, oh, i got to work or I've got vacation, that's fine. Watch it online or watch it right after you get off or whatever it is to, to keep up with what's going on because this whole story is beautiful and you don't want to miss like exclamation point that God makes at the end and you won't see it as clearly if you don't hang along for the right. And so go six out of six for this series. The other caution that I'm going to give you is that as we open up the book of Ruth, we are stepping back into time. We're going into the Old Testament uh, this was written around 1,000 years B.C., give or take 50 years maybe. 
And so you're going to see ancient Hebrew customs and cultural realities. You're going to see uh, literary devices and language and some other cultural things that might not make sense until we unpack it and make some sense of it. So just be aware of those things and don't be distracted by them and just hang with there. And lastly, I caution you not to make the book of Ruth about Ruth or about you or about me even. The book of Ruth isn't really about Ruth. It's about God. God is the hero of the story. So we're not going to come to the end of Ruth and come to the conclusion of, oh, wow, isn't Ruth amazing? we got to be more like Ruth. That's not what we're doing here. We come to the end of Ruth and go, wow, God is amazing. How can we get to know him better and love him more? And so that's really where we're going to be going as we unpack this book of Ruth. So with that, let's go to the Lord, and then let's open up the book of Ruth. Father, thank you that we get a chance to gather Thank you for those who are here in this room, especially those who've taken that step of being back here uh, for the first time face-to-face in community. We pray for those still online that have health issues, health needs, or, or in a hospital right now, or have some sort of reason they can't be here. Father, would you still meet them in that place and limit distractions? Father, for those who are online that are just kind of stuck, nudge them, Lord, to get back into face-to-face community. God, thank you for your word. Your word's powerful. It's perfect. Uh, people debate it, they argue it, they just disbelieve it, but yet we still are here in 2021 reading your word, learning from your word because it's supernatural and it's indestructible and you speak to us in it. So God, today we ask with one voice, with one heart, speak. We want to hear you instruct us and guide us and call us through what we're about to do. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Well, if you're a good student, you probably already opened up to the book of Ruth because you know that's where we're going, but if you haven't, Open up your Bible or fire up your Bible app to the book of Ruth. And uh, we're just going to be in the first nine chapters this morning, and then we'll continue on next week. And uh, we're going to read a little bit, talk a little bit, but let's find ourselves in Ruth chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Here we go. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. Everyone say Elimelech. All right, you got to get that name on lock. And the name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were, and you're thinking, don't call on me. Um, they were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of, what's called? Moab, and remained there. We're going to pause there. So here's what we see. Uh, we see uh, this story unfold. And the first key indicator of what we need to understand is this phrase that it was in the days when the judges ruled. You've got to understand ancient um, Israel history here. There was a cycle that they played out. And the cycle was pretty much this. Uh, They were in relationship with God and obedience and enjoying him and enjoying his promises and his presence as they navigated the hardships and joys of life. And then they strayed from God and found themselves rebelling against God, not wanting anything to do with God, and a lot of times seduced by the false gods of the lands around them. And so they started worshiping those false gods and abandoning God, really kind of committing spiritual adultery. And then because of that, God would then discipline them. Now, this is important. God didn't smite them, like, I'm going to punish you. And it wasn't a matter of just you know, him unleashing his wrath. It was him trying to get the attention of his people. And so he would discipline them by pestilence or a lot of times by a foreign people group oppressing them till they got to a breaking point when they're like, what have we done? 
And then they would come back to God. They would repent and come back to God and cry out to him. And then he would bring a judge, not a king, not a president, not a prime minister. He would bring a judge that would come to try to get Israel back on track. So they would call the people to try to you know, come back to Scripture, come back to faithfulness to God, and try to bring some order and structure back to the people of God. And so uh, this was the time of the judges. It's funny because that cycle, some of you are listening to that cycle and go, uh, that's me, right? Faithful to God, loving God, He's with me in the joys and challenges. Then I start to drift away from God, try to do things in my own power. That doesn't go so well. I start to feel some pain in doing that. So then I try to come back to God and repent. And then, you know, he brings uh, his word and the Christian community and the spirit into my life. And I start to, you know, this is the same cycle that we are on. And so this is the, this is the time stamp that we're entering into. But it's not just a time stamp that it was the time of Judges. It was also really a thermometer reading of the spiritual and moral condition of Israel at the time. It wasn't good. So if you want to know what it meant that they lived in the times of the Judges, the book of Judges precedes the book of Ruth. You could just turn back one page or even look on the other page in some Bibles and look at the very, very last verse of the book of Judges to see what it looked like. And this is what you'll find. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what they wanted. There was no structure, no order. It was like, hey, just do what you want. Do what you want to you know, do, and, and we'll just see how it all plays out. And so this was a very dark period in the spiritual, political climate in Israel. It was a time of darkness, disobedience, immorality, violence, chaos, unrest. And people were determined to do what was right in their own eyes, which led to more immorality and violence and chaos. And that's so weird because that's a lot of times what we in our flesh want. God, just let me do what I want. If you were to look back over all the years of your life and think about all the troubled spots in your life, the odds are it was a time when you said, I just want to do what I want. And I don't want to live under authority. And I don't want to live under this. I'm just going to do what I want. I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes. So here's what's interesting. The more we get to do as we please... Typically, we're not as pleased with the outcome of what we do. It usually bites us somehow. And so this is what's taking place in Israel. And during that time, they experienced a famine. We don't know how long. We don't know, you know, you know why. But if we're to look at the context, it's a safe bet that the reason there's a famine in Bethlehem and Israel is because they weren't obeying God. He had cut off the food supply as a way to try to get their attention and call out to his people. The irony here is that Bethlehem, which is where Elimelech is from, uh, the word Bethlehem in the original language means house of bread. So there's no bread in the house of bread. It's like walking into Panera, but there's no bread in Panera, okay? This is what's going on. There's a famine. And now you have Elimelech, along with his wife Naomi, his two sons, Guess what Elimelech has right now in this moment? He's got a fork in the road. Because God was very clear to his people, stay in the land, stay where I have you. This is the land of promise. I will provide for you. I will be with you. Even if you disobey me, just be here. And so Elimelech can either A, stay in Bethlehem and take the roller coaster ride through the famine to see if people are going to repent and come back to God, and, and when God breaks the famine, see how that, what that's going to be like, or do I go somewhere else? Do I do something else? 
Well, we see what happens. Elimelech is in Bethlehem, but he's daydreaming about greener pastures somewhere else. And so he heads out. And here's what's so interesting about this moment. Uh, names mean something, right? When we name our kids, there's some sort of namesake to a family member, or there's just some reason why that name's special to us. But especially in ancient Eastern culture, like names have literal meaning. And a lot of times they're ascribed to the feeling or emotion of uh, the parents in the moment or the connection with God. So the name Elimelech means God is my king. Are you catching the irony yet? (laughs) Because he's got a fork in the road where he's supposed to bow down and live under submission to God as king, but instead the culture which says, no, 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 just do as you please has influenced him and now he's going to go do as he's pleased. So God is my king is going to take on temporary kingship and bug out of Israel. This is what he's doing, right? And so you're thinking, I don't know, man, you've been a little bit harsh because there's no evidence here. He sought God, felt called by God, was trying to obey God. He just said, there's got to be something better somewhere else, better food options, better buffets. There's, there's something better elsewhere I'm going to leave. We can make this assumption not so much because he left, but because of where he went. He went to Moab. And some of you are thinking, and what's the big deal about Moab? See, Moab and Israel are not friends. They've got bad history. And the Moabites are detestable in the eyes of the Israelites. Now, when you look at a map, Moab's not terribly far. It's in modern-day Jordan. It's about a 50-mile trip east from Bethlehem. That's about 50 miles of rugged, steep, nasty terrain. It would take you 7 to 10 days on foot to get there. And so they traveled, you know, probably a week or so over to Moab to be with the Moabites. Now, here's the thing about the Moabites. The way that Moabites came into the scene genealogically was because a man named Lot, back in Genesis 19, had an incestuous relationship with his daughter. And the son that was born from that relationship was named, any guesses? Moab. That's where the Moabites came from. And then all through history, as you read through the book of Exodus and all these other times, the Moabites abandoned the worship of God and embraced the worship of pagan gods around them. Their primary pagan god was a god named Chemosh. He was a pagan god of destruction, all right? And so we believe that child sacrifice was part of the worship of Chemosh, but they were not people of God, they were people of Chemosh. Even scripture talks about that, references them as people of Chemosh. Even King Solomon, you know, the guy that took, you know, a bunch of wives. Some of those wives were Moabites. And even Solomon got seduced to worship the Moabites and raised up <laughs> high places for Chemosh because of the influence. So the Moabites were always seducing Israel to worship fake gods. And they said no one time when Israel wanted to come through the land. There was just always this conflict. They're not on terms. Two different cultures, two different value systems. So the fact that Elimelech went to Moab is just a head scratcher. Like, what? It Dynamically, it would be the same as an Amish man taking his family to go live on the Vegas Strip. That's what you got. I'm out of here. Let's go see what Vegas has to offer, right? That's kind of, hey, I heard they got big buffets, right? That's, that's the equivalent here of what we're seeing. And so he comes to the fork in the road. You put it all together, he leaves. Now, it says that he went to sojourn, which means maybe his intentions were just to go there for a little bit. But as we will see, that's not the case. Let's continue. Ruth 1, 3. It says, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. Okay, that's a turn of events. And she was left with her two sons. 
These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the other one was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Wow. See, they left Bethlehem looking for the right things, but in the wrong place. Not that we would ever do that. And then there comes an outcome of that. And so now, as we see what happens, guess what Naomi has now? Naomi has a fork in the road. Her husband has died. We don't know if she wanted to go in the first place. She was just being good. She was long for the ride. But now they're in Moab. Elimelech dies, fork in the road. Do I go back to Bethlehem, back to my people, back to my God, back to my culture, back to the land of God's promises and see what's going on there? Or do I stay in Moab? She stays. She stays in Moab. In fact, she tags on. We don't know how long they were there. She tags on another 10 years. And while there, her two sons take on Moabite wives. Remember, these sons come out of Bethlehem. They're people that worship God. The Moabite wives are not going to be God worshipers. Do you notice how when we make the wrong decisions, they start to multiply and compound? And do you notice how compromise is just one step at a time in the wrong direction? This is what's happening. This is what's unfolding. And then the young men die. And here's Naomi now. She, she's, got, she's got a dead husband, two dead sons. She's alone. She's a widow. And now she has two widows with her, three widows, no children. No children have come online. They're just, they're just there. Guess what she has again? Another fork in the road. What do I do with this situation? Do I go back to Bethlehem now or do I stay in Moab longer and tough it out? That's what we see. And it's interesting because when you unpack all of what we see happening here, I'm reminded of Proverbs 14, 12, which says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It seemed right for Elimelech to leave. It cost him his very life somehow. We don't know how. We don't know why. We don't know if he got sick or there was an accident. And then, and then the boys died. And we're not saying that God punished them. It's just they just weren't, weren't where they were supposed to be. And bad things happened to them while they were there. Now what does Naomi do? In 10 years, Naomi's life has been decimated. It is not what she had envisioned when they packed up the U-Haul and moved to Moab. She's at a fork in the road. What's she going to do? Well, we see what happens next. Look at Ruth 1.6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord, first time God's mentioned here, that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me, referencing her sons. And the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. So here's what we see. Naomi hears that God has broke the famine. And it's the first time God has mentioned. And what I love about this moment is this is not a, a just neutral reference to God. Oh, yeah, the, the, the big guy upstairs, you know, did something. No, this is, she's calling now the name of God in a personal way. And in Scripture, God has revealed himself by a specifically unique name, Yahweh, in the Hebrew, Yahweh. And some uh, alternative translations would say Jehovah. It means the self-existent, eternal God. 
In fact, in Isaiah 42.8, God told the prophet Isaiah this, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carve idols. Meaning, Chemosh can try all he wants to get praise, but he's not really God and he doesn't even exist anyways. And so now what we see is there is this spiritual awareness that seems to be activated in Naomi. And even though she's in Moab, in this tough place, she hears God is showing up back in Bethlehem. Now the house of bread has bread again. It's a good time to go back. And she's identifying that it's the Lord who did it. She didn't say like, hey, they did, developed this big sophisticated irrigation system and started growing more food. So it's time. No, no, the Lord has shown up. And so we see this. And then she says, let's go. So she's packing up. She's making a U-turn. She's got a fork in the road. She's like, okay, new fork in the road, U-turn. I'm going to go a different path. And now her daughters-in-law are ready for the journey. Like, we'll go. We'll leave our people. We'll leave our country. It only makes sense. You're our mother-in-law. We feel loyal to you. So we're going to go with you. And look what Naomi does again. She, she again invokes the name of the Lord. No, 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 no. You don't have to do that. See, she knows their odds are better to flourish staying in their land with their people and their gods. We'll talk a little bit more about this next week, but it's not really going to go well for a Moabite widow to show up in Israel looking for a new husband. She says, probably better if you stay here, honey, <laughs> okay? And you know what? You were so good to me. You were so good to my boys. Stay here, and may Yahweh, may the Lord be as kind to you as he was, as you were to me and to my sons. And may Yahweh, may the Lord Specifically, you know, God, the God we worship, may he give you kindness and rest in the house of your new husbands. Like the husbands that he's going to have for you here, just embrace those. And then we have this emotional moment where they're going to be saying goodbye. And then we put a bookmark there and we'll pick that up next week. But here's what we see about this relationship between God and Naomi in this moment. She's having this spiritual awakening, if you will, and desire to return. The word return is used three times in those last three verses. So is the word the Lord, both of them. The Lord returned, the Lord returned, the Lord returned. And so she's ready to return because of the Lord. But not pain-free. There's been affliction. There's been affliction. She's lost her husband, she's lost her kids, and now there's, there's this pain. She's, she's a widow, no, no protector, no provider. What is she going to do? You know, there's a beautiful verse in Psalms 119. In Psalm 119, it says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. What I love about that passage is that writer gets it too. That when we decide to turn our back on God and go a different way and take a path we shouldn't take, oftentimes we're going to have affliction there. Some of that affliction is brought on by ourselves. And just life in general uh, there's going to be affliction that we bring on ourselves and receive from others because of their brokenness. But God uses our affliction, whether, whether it's brought on by ourselves or it's damage others have done, God uses affliction to get our attention for our need for Him. And this writer says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now, like after the affliction, I see you. I hunger for your word. You're good, God. Teach me your way. That, that should be true of us. So you connect that to this moment and you see that Naomi, by God's grace, has been allowed to taste the emptiness, taste the bitterness of what it feels like to be on a different path, to look for the right thing in the wrong place. And now she's ready to go back to be with 
the Lord and his people. This is also a picture of the gospel. This is also a picture of Christ that we see here. Uh, Go back to verse 6 and verse 7. I want to connect something here. After she hears about the Lord uh, in, in the fields, it says, she heard that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place she was to return. That is exactly the gospel because we as individuals and as a society are sinful. We rebel against God and we live and take a path that takes us away from him. Yet God has visited us and given us not just physical food, he's given us spiritual food. You ready for this? This this is those little nuances in scripture that if you don't do a little deeper dive, you miss, okay? What is, pop quiz, what does Bethlehem mean? House of bread. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Jesus at one point in his ministry says, I am the bread of life. Whoever believes in me will not go hungry. Random coincidence, I'm sure. God's super intentional. Super intentional. And so we see repentance because now, now Naomi is to repent. We, we look at the journey of Naomi to go back to Bethlehem. It's a journey of repentance to go back to the Lord. And so we need that same type of spirit for repentance that when we're on the wrong path, you turn. When we have a fork in the road, we choose God's road out of a spirit of repentance. Some of you are going to look at big churchy word. What does repentance mean? Repentance basically means this. It's a change of mind and heart that results in a change of action or direction. Let me say that again. It's a change of mind and heart that results in a change of action or direction. God does a work here and here and alters our course. That's what it is. But what does repentance feel like? Like when you're in a moment where God is bringing a spirit of conviction and you need to repent, what does that feel like? Uh, I shared this a while ago, but I'll share it again because it's the, it's the moment that I actually thought about repentance shortly after this because of, of the experience I had. But I was at the movie theater and I just ducked out really fast to use the restroom. You know, I tried to wait for a lull when I don't think I'm going to miss anything, right? I bolted to the restroom. I took four steps into the restroom and stopped because something didn't seem right. And I looked down the restroom and I saw two rows of stalls. And I thought to myself, self, men's restrooms don't have two rows of stalls. Where are the urinals? <laughs> I had just misread the sign in my hurry. It looked like a dude on the wall, but it wasn't. Well, I just walked right into the women's restroom, you know. Gratefully, no one was there that I know of. But that feeling that I had once I realized I am in the wrong place. I bolted out of there to get across the hall to the men's restroom. And when I got there, that's what repentance feels like. I'm in the wrong place. I got to get out of here and I can't wait to do it. That was Naomi. I'm in the wrong place. I'm out. And that should be us. And God in his grace says, I'm giving you away. I've visited you. Christ, God in the flesh has come. He's visited his people. He's brought spiritual food that if we believe in Jesus... We'll never go hungry. And then he's given us an invitation to return to him. And so if you're in Christ, if you believe in Christ, that's what we've done. But if you've never received Christ, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, that's your journey to realize that God is calling you to a place of repentance so that you can turn. And right today, you're at a fork in the road to believe or not to believe, to live in disbelief perpetually or for a longer season or to stop and start to go a different way. That's what God is doing in your life. And that's something you want to do. It's like, well, how, how do I get right with God? How do I believe in Christ? I just call it the ABCs of faith. 
A, you admit that you're a sinner. You've got to start with the beginning, humbly saying, above my pay grade, I'm a mess. <laughs> I need you, God. I'm a sinner. B, you believe in Jesus. You believe that he is God in the flesh. You believe that God raised him from the dead after dying on the cross and your sins are forgiven in Christ and you have eternity and new life in Christ. You believe that and then see you commit. Jesus has no interest in just being one of the many things you do. Oh, I'm just going to do that follow Jesus thing. Okay, check, done. He wants you to commit to follow him, that he truly will be the king of your heart and the king of your choices. And so you put all that together. What, what do you do with this today? What, what is your response today? Well, the first is I would call you, some of you, to just be reminded. You're reminded of the times that you were in Moab, hard places, and God got you out of there. You repented, you got out. And today, just be reminded how good God is to you and just say, God, thank you so much that that moment in Moab is in my rearview mirror and I don't have to worry about that anymore. And you just worship God and thank God and celebrate as you're reminded about what you, where you used to be. Also, learn from that, right? Don't ever go back. <laughs> They'll never go back. The second is repentance. That if you're a follower of Christ, here's the thing. We all know that because we still have a sin nature, even as followers of Christ, we'll find ourselves on the wrong roads at times, doing the wrong things, justifying it somehow, being sneaky about it. Time to repent and just confess to God, confess to a Christian brother or sister, family member who loves you, and just say, I just need to get more serious about Jesus. And repent and come back. Or if you don't know Christ, just come to faith and believe. If you do that today, we, we want to help you. We have a response number. It's uh, get out your phones and plug it in if you don't have it. It's 440-276-5575. And you can text the word connect to that number. And if you want to receive Christ, you need some help getting out of Moab. <laughs> um, you just need to talk about anything that we're, we're discussing today. Just text that number and we'll follow up with you. If you really want to mess with the person who's on the other end of that line, just text them. They'll come back to you like, how can we help you? Just say Moab. They'll be like, what? talk about Moab. <laughs> Chad, why am I getting all these texts Moab? Oh, they're in a hard place. Follow up with them. <laughs> I just want to help you take your next step. So you can spend some time today being reminded. You can repent. The other is to reflect. Some of you aren't ready to make a commitment to Christ. Or, or maybe you're just not in a place where you're ready to make that. I just call you to reflect. Reflect on what you've heard today. Reflect on your life. Try to connect the dots. See what God might be trying to um, get you to do. And I would just say on that note, as you reflect and as you repent and as you're reminded, if you're in Moab, get out. If Moab represents a, a life committed to self-reliance or an attitude or a situation that you've got no business being in, make a U-turn and get out. And maybe that's a relationship that you need to cut off. Maybe that's a sin you need to confess. Maybe that's an addiction you need to break. Maybe you're trapped in bitterness. Your Moab is bitterness. You're just living in unforgiveness to someone. They're not hurting over that, by the way. You are, though. You got to get out of there. And so pick up that phone and call someone who can help or text us, and we'll, we'll love to help you take those next steps. So we started our time in this series looking first at Elimelech and kind of drawing that understanding that Elimelech took Naomi and his kids to a place he had no business being. He, he didn't seem to seek the Lord or have any desire about God's opinion of that destination. That's kind of a bad example that can help us make a better choice. But what does it look like when we have a good example? What does it look like when we do seek the Lord, that when we do come to a fork in the road, we go, Lord, which way do you want us to go? What does that look like? 
And so to illustrate that, I'm going to ask a friend to join me up here, Kathy, coming up. And Kathy's had a fork on the road recently that's got us talking for the last few months. And I thought, I'm going to bring her up here boldly to share a little bit more about that fork on the road. So thank you very much, Kathy. You just sat through the message three times in a row. If I would have known that, I just would have had you teach it to everybody. I would have (laughs) sat there and just had some coffee. But uh, (coughs) Kathy, why don't you just take a minute to explain to the church just, you know, how long you've been at CVC, um, you know, how did you come to Christ, and what do you do and serve here at CVC? Sure. Good morning, everyone. Um, I, well, first of all, I came to Jesus Christ uh, back in 2015. Um, I was, uh, like Pastor Chad talked about, kind of living astray and doing what I thought was right in my own eyes. And God was trying to get my attention. So through some circumstances, he allowed me to go to prison for a crime that I didn't commit. So while in prison, I did find the Lord. And uh, upon my release, I came to CVC and quickly felt that was January of 2017. I quickly felt moved to join. And in the membership interview, Celebrate Recovery pretty much just fell in my lap. (laughs) So I then launched that six months later in uh, September of 2017, and I've been the Celebrate Recovery ministry leader here since then. And uh, it's been a pleasure and a joy. And it's been very effective and fruitful. Um, I just want to say thank you on behalf of CBC leadership. All those years in Celebrate Recovery has led to many lives being changed, not just here at CBC, but our church plants and just your regional heart and reach into those areas. And it's so cool to see how God restored you know, that part of your life back to faithful ministry from where you had come, and mm-hmm. we're so thankful for that. Um, but you've got a fork in the road, and I'd love for you to explain, like, what is it, and what did you decide? And more importantly, how did you know God was leading you guys? Yeah, so I really thought that, you know, this is where God had planted me. I was going to stay here at, at, Celebrate, at Cuyahoga Valley Church leading Celebrate Recovery, and all of a sudden, this other opportunity kind of landed in my lap once again. So as the lady who led me to Christ in prison, her and her husband are starting a new opportunity in Florida. It is in prison ministry in Orlando. And uh, so they, they offered that opportunity to me, and I was literally looking at a fork in the road, and I didn't want to make the wrong decision. So I prayed fervently. I sought a wise counsel, Pastor Chad, among other pastors here and at other churches that I know. Um, and the Lord showed me Ecclesiastes 3.1, for everything there is a season and I realize, or time, and I realized that um, this is it. This was my season, and it was time to relinquish the, the ministry to someone else because it wasn't my ministry. It was the Lord's. And uh, ever since we kind of surrendered to that and embraced it, everything has just been green lights, open doors all the way. He's just been faithful and good. He's brought me people to show me that this ministry will take every single experience, hurt, uh, life lesson, skill, and talent that I have that he's blessed me with and use it in a, in a really amazing way for the kingdom. So, What I love about that, I and mean, obviously this is like the tip of the iceberg of all you and Bob have been through recently, but what I love about that first is the contrast between Elimelech, who's like, ah, this is right in my own eyes, I'm just going to do that. And you say, no, I'm going to seek God. And I love how you said, look, um, I, I prayed about it. God spoke to me in his word. He spoke to me through counsel of other people who love the Lord, love his word. And I just felt like this is a leap of faith that I have to take. I love how you've kind of unpacked that. Because all of us are looking for those things. How do you know when God's calling you to do something? That's very helpful. And I also love the confidence. Like, God has called me to do this. And... Um, we're excited for you. We're, we're sad to see you guys move out of the Cleveland area. I understand the moving truck showing up next week. Yes. Yes, okay. And uh, you and Bob are moving out of the Cleveland area. But we don't want you just to leave. We want to send you. 
And we want to bless you. We want to commission you for this next season of faithful ministry uh, that you have. And so I'm going to ask Bob to come up and join you. And I'm going to ask the church just to stand. And you know what, Pastor Tad, I just want to say one quick thing. If any of you guys are stuck in your Moab, whatever that is, whether it's, uh, you know, bitterness or anxiety, depression, grief, um, adultery, pornography, gambling, you know, any kind of addiction, any bad habit, hurt or hang up that just has you stuck and you feel far away from God, Celebrate Recovery can help you find freedom. And I I invite you to come talk to me. I'm going to be at the table out there for a few minutes after the service. I invite you to come to one of our meetings every single Thursday night, downstairs, room 100. Talk to a pastor. They'll get you hooked up with us. Um, But don't don't get stuck there. Make your U-turn. God's waiting for you. Yeah, take those steps. And you can also use that, um, especially those online, you can use that text response number as another way to to connect. So absolutely. Thank you for that. All right. I want to ask all of you to stand. Uh, we've been increasing our commissionings, which is when we see God moving someone into the work of the ministry within the walls of the church or outside the walls of the church. Uh, when we commission, this is a biblical practice, a, a model we've seen in scripture where the people of God just put their hands on them and say, we're behind you. We believe in what God's doing in your life, and we, we send you with a blessing and commission you to this next chapter. And so uh, we want to do that for, for Bob and Kathy. And I, I want to say thank you because your faithfulness and praying and giving helps CR and ministries like this continue to uh, thrive and be useful. And so you're, you're a big part of all that's happened. But we want to pray for the Kozaks right now and send them the blessing. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Bob and Kathy. We thank you for this story. What a, what a tiny glimpse of even a much bigger, a more beautiful story. And God, we thank you in the name of Jesus for all that you've done in their lives, how you've brought them close to you and have worked them through hard times, difficult times, uh, beautiful miracles that you've done in their lives and through them. Father, uh, you have clearly led them to a new opportunity to serve you. And God, we're, we're sad to see them go, but we're excited about how you're going to use them. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, we would ask that you literally will open doors for Kathy as she steps into that prison, prison doors, so the inmates can hear about the good news of Jesus, can hear about the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. God, we pray for Bob and Kathy as they transition, that you would go before them and all the details and all the list of things that need to be done and, and all the demands that will fall upon them, that you will show up and that they will continue to see your hand and those green lights that you've given them. And so, Father, we pray for many to come to faith. We pray for many to be encouraged in their faith and continue to use them in a mighty way. So as a church body, as a church family, we send them with a blessing in the name of Jesus Christ. And we all said, let's just celebrate what God's done in their life. Thank you, guys. As we continue to worship out here, I just want to come back to Limelech. His name, God is my king. Some of his choices didn't really reflect that. We're going to sing a song that talks about God being the king of our heart. I would ask that you would move beyond the lyrics of the song and that this would be a cry of your heart, that wherever you're at, whatever fork in the road you might be in, whatever U-turn you need to make, that you could say, God, I want you to be the king of my heart. Truly believe that no matter how rough this road gets, you're with me. You're not going to let go of me. You're not going to abandon me. You're going to use all the hard stuff and the good stuff to work your purposes. And so let this be a time of worship as you guys pray, give, and continue to serve faithfully in the body of Christ. Let's sing. Thanks for listening, friends. 
If you want to talk about anything that you've heard today, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find contact information and current teaching series on our website at www.cvconline.org.